Welcome to Pastor Stephen Samuel's podcast, where it's our desire that you'll be encouraged and empowered to live as a disciple-making follower of Jesus. As I'm kind of thinking through some things, asking the Holy Spirit what to share tonight, I would say, we know, we were, we're mesmerized by a lot of uh, super abilities that we see on TV, you know, whether you're in the comic book thing, you're in the Marvel comics or whatever, and, you know, everyone wants to have abilities that other people don't have, whether it's athletic, whether it's, you know, personality, whether it's talent, we all want those things. Most of the time for just personal pleasure, right? I'd like to be the best, whatever, fill in the blank, basketball, football player, musician, singer, whatever. And it's to draw attention to ourselves, right? Not that that's horrible, but many times we can get so caught up in that desire to be to have a little extra power or whatever that we forget the reason for the gifts and the callings that God puts on our life. You with me? And I would think as a follower of Jesus, you should know that there are some abilities that God puts in us, or abilities that he gives to us that are unique. And if we'll learn how to, and I don't wanna say this because I'm gonna probably contradict it later, but we'll learn how to use them well, you'll live a life that's effective. The worst thing you can do is get to the end of your life and realize you did nothing. You just made money, you got a nice house, you had a nice family, whatever, but you did nothing in the eternal scope of what God has called you to do. The greatest regret you'll have in eternity is to stand before Jesus and realize you didn't listen to what he said. You didn't obey his commands. And I don't mean obey his commands as in just be a good person. I mean obey his commands as in do what he called you or brought you into this world to do. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way that you should feel guilty. I'm just saying that's a reality everyone will face. You say, well, Stephen, is, Jesus, is God's will for me just to be a good person? If you think that's the answer, you're going to miss it by a long shot. Because to make you a good person is what the penalty Jesus paid for on the cross his righteousness becomes your righteousness. So being good is not a purpose in life. Being good is, happens by believing on Jesus and his righteous nature gets put in you. So if being good is the purpose of your life, guess what? You really don't have a big purpose. But there's a greater purpose of what God has called you to do, and it's not just tied up in a career. Well, God wants me to be a, a singer. God wants me to be a mechanic. God wants me to be a, that's not it. God has called you into this world to effectively lead other people to Jesus, right? And teach them how to follow Jesus. And regardless of your age, how old you are, how young you are, if you're not doing that now, you're doing what the Bible calls disobedience. You're living for yourself, right? And I know that sounds kind of sharp, but that's the truth. If you're not leading other people in how to follow Jesus, you're living against the great commission, which was go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do those things that I have commanded you. So the only exception to that I'm not making disciples is you are a disciple or you're being taught how to become a disciple, right? I, I don't preach this message like a thousand different ways, but there is a power in making disciples that's made available to the church and this element that we call prayer. And it's probably one of the most misunderstood dynamics of the Christian faith, right? 
Prayer is one of those things that people talk a lot about. Tons of books are written about it. And yet when you ask a lot of Christians, how do you pray? They really don't know except to speak out a great wish list of the things they would like God to do, right? And over time, because I'm a teacher and I listen to a lot of teachings, a lot of bad teachings, not bad morally, but bad as an ineffective teachings about prayer have come out. In fact, they've all usually come down to something like this. I don't know if you can see this because it's so small. So when I was in Turkey years ago, around 2005 or so, 2006, and we were in southern Turkey, we're going through the mountains and you know, our old ancient lands. Turkey is the southern region. Uh, Paul was born in Turkey in Tarsus. The seven churches are in Turkey, right? Southern part of Turkey. And so we were, you know, the last day of our trip, we're out running out getting souvenirs and stuff. And back in those days, I used to like souvenirs. Now they're just heavy luggage. But I got this little lamp, right? It's a real lamp, it actually works. So they pour oil in it and then you stuff a little wick in this side and it can burn all night long. Well, over time, tradition in, in the Eastern world, the lamps begin to symbolize uh, what you may, many would remember as a genie in the lamp, right? You rub the lamp, little genie comes out, right? And a lot of times, as I think about prayer, a lot of us look at prayer like this. If I know just how to rub the lamp, or it's the right kind of lamp, then this prayer will be solved. God will answer my prayer if I pray in King James language, <laughs> if I pray after I've been good for two weeks, then I pray, then God will answer me. Or if, I, uh, if I'm nice to, my, if I'm nice to my, my spouse and my family, then God will answer my prayers. Y'all thought this stuff like this, right? Well, if I, if I tithe, then God will answer my prayer. If I don't argue with people, then God will answer my prayer. And you know what we're really doing? We're treating prayer like this little lamp, you know? Maybe God will do something for me. Oh, God, I need a new car, right? Oh, God, I need, I need better grades, right? And you know what the problem with this mentality is? It doesn't work. If anything, it's somewhat insulting to God to treat him like this. Why? Because nobody ever has a relationship, unfortunately, not like the Aladdin movie, right? Has a relationship with God after the wish is done. Because many times we're like, thank you, God, Appreciate it, and now I've got my wish, and we're done. And listen, if God was that type of relationship, wanted that kind of relationship with us, he would have just sent us a lamp, right? And that's not what prayer is. And so many times the ideas of prayer that we hear and talk about are just broken ways, or I should say partial views of what prayer is. So what are some of the ways that we view prayer? Y'all probably seen bumper stickers like this, right? How many of you said that bumper sticker? Pray, prayer changes things, right? That is not a scripture anywhere, right? Prayer changes things. What about this one? Uh, pray until something happens, right? Make the little acronym push, right? Pray until something happens. Not in the Bible either, right? Here's another one. Uh, I believe in the power of prayer, as if praying in itself has some kind of virtue in it, right? Because what is prayer really? Prayer is, you're talking to who? So if we, if we substitute prayer for talking, what we're really saying is talking changes things. That's not the truth. Talking usually gets you in a lot of trouble, right? Or talk until something happens. Well, what will happen is people will leave you alone, right? You keep talking, people will be like, we're done, see you later, right? Or, or what if we said something like, I believe in the power of talking. 
it's good for some places, but after a while, people realize you're just talking, right? And you know, what, what's sad is a lot of Christians, when they're praying, you know what they're doing? They're just, they're just talking. And then, then the tragedy, and here's where I'm kind of going, the tragedies of life hit, and we start talking to God, and prayers don't get answered. And then heartbreak comes in, disappointment with God comes in, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. Well, God, I prayed, and you didn't do what I asked. I prayed for my friend not to die. I prayed for my loved one not to die of cancer. I prayed for a miracle to happen, and, and it didn't happen, God. And it's not that God is, and God always takes the blame, not because he's the one to be blamed, but because we think prayer is getting something from God like a genie lamp. And it's not. Jesus never taught the disciples, hey, listen, and we're going to go through some of the text. He never told the disciples, listen, when you pray, here's the words that you say. Y'all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, it's funny, right before he says the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's context, he says, don't use vain repetition when you pray. And guess what's the vain repetition we always pray is the Lord's Prayer, quite contradictory to what Jesus was teaching. In fact, Jesus didn't teach the disciples to pray on his own volition. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to him and they say to him, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, here's the unique thing that you should know. When Jesus prayed, every prayer Jesus prayed was answered. Every prayer. When Jesus prayed, things changed. And the Bible tells us numerous times he prayed all night. And then he selected the disciples. And then he went into the Decapolis. And then he went into regions. And then he sent out the 70. And he prayed and prayed. And when Jesus prayed, talking to the Father, things happened. How many of you would like, when you pray, things happen? I don't know about you. You might be too embarrassed to raise your hand. But I'd be like, that's me, both hands and a foot. When I pray, I would like things to happen. But how many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand, your experience is when you pray, most of the time, nothing happens, and there's a few times something happened, right? And it could be that we don't understand what prayer is or the dynamics by which prayer should work. And let me tell you something, as we move into this season of the last days, the difference between those that are hearing God's voice and making an impact in the world and those that are just nominally floating around are the, is the difference between those that know how to pray and get the heart of the Father and those who don't know what the heck they're doing when they go to pray. And it's not to condemn you, it's just to say, we need some prayer people, right? And so I wanna just outline for you in the next 30, 40 minutes, just this thought of what prayer is. E. Stanley Jones said it like this. Prayer is aligning ourselves to the will of God. Prayer is aligning ourselves to the will of God. Mother Teresa said this. I used to believe prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things. Our perspective and practical use of prayer is often formed out of a partial pattern of thinking. Here's how we usually process it, you ready? I have a need. God, I need, I need a new skateboard. 
God, I need a new raise. God, I need a car. And we start with a need, right? And out of that need then, I, we say, God, I don't have the ability to get this, right? My lottery ticket didn't work last week. I begged my parents and they said no, right? Or if my kids ask, I say it's not in the budget. <laughs> I'm a Dave Ramsey junkie, right? And so we go to God with a need that we cannot do or fulfill, right? And when we go to God with a need we can't fulfill, then we assume prayer is how we go to God to fix and heal these situations. So we don't just go to God once, we keep going again and again and again and again and again and again and again thinking the more I talk, then something will happen. And yet you never see Jesus repeating a prayer throughout his whole life. Because when he prayed, there was something that was happening. Answers were happening. So what was the difference? Well, it's because he's Jesus. Well, I would, I would venture to say he's the example that we need to follow. Though our presumptions about prayer can come from a sincere heart, they can lead to ineffective patterns of prayer at best and then a disappointment at worst. We can make a lot of assumptions about prayer that are broken, and if anything, it's ineffective. And then, at worst case scenario, it's disappointing. And then you just lose the desire to pray. And yet the number one weapon, power, tool, whatever you want to call it, for you as a believer to exercise in your relationship with the Father is your ability to pray. That's it. God didn't give us any extra superpowers, just the ability to pray as a whole. And so with that context, let me, t let me start with this idea of what is effective prayer. Let me tell you, prayer is not a discipline. Now, there's discipline in putting time aside for prayer, but prayer is not a discipline. Prayer begins to take on power when you make time for the one you are praying to. If you're not making time to be with Jesus, it's foolish to assume he's listening to answer all your prayer requests. The people that you spend the time with the most, think about it, are the ones that you have the most influence on, right? You know who has the most influence on my budget at home? Judah pointing to himself. My kids, right? Why? Because they spend the most time with me, right? My kids and my wife, they have the most influence. Guess who gets most of what I have? Ability, resources. Why? Because they spend most of the time with me. And they know my heart and they know how to ask and they know how the relationship is between us. And so who you spend the time, when you spend time with Jesus, that's where the power, if you will, in prayer comes. But if you're not spending any time with him and you're just spitting out prayer requests upon, you know, supply on demand, you might find, though he's compassionate, he has no obligation to answer you outside of the relationship. In fact, every example Jesus gives about prayer is in the context of relationship. He says things like, a son, when he asks his father for bread, will his father turn him away? No. Why? Because the relationship of a father to a son, fathers take care of their sons. Even in, in Jesus' prayer, he always addresses God as 
father. And so there's a relationship there. The faith that is needed in prayer is in knowing the will of God. That the faith that is needed in prayer is, is, is in knowing the will of God. It is the overflow of one's relationship with him. Now let me tell you principle number one if you're taking notes. When we pray, we have to believe we're gonna receive what we're praying. But not just believe it as in psych ourselves up to believe, right? And I know you've heard a lot of word of faith messages where you know, oh, you gotta believe, 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 psych yourself up, God's gonna answer, God's gonna answer, God's gonna answer. You know what that is? That's garbage. That's really garbage. Because you can psych yourself up all day long that God's gonna hear your prayer, and if it's not God's will, it ain't happening. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And if you don't know what God's will is, then you're praying your will. And the last time I checked, God doesn't answer your will. He answers his will. Even if your will is good, well, God, I just got to have this. I know you want me to be happy and this is what's going to, listen, if it's not his will, he has no obligation to answer. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Say, Stephen, what, how do I know what the will of God is? We have this book that's been given to us with his will in it. We have to know it's God's will. Not just categorically it's God's will, but specifically what is God's will in this situation? What is God's will in the situation that you're praying for? And listen, you can assume you know what God's will is, but you don't know what his will is until you ask, what is your will? And I know I'm being very general, but even in the very specifics, let's say I'm, and I've been many times where I've called out to the hospital to go visit somebody on their deathbed, pray that they get healed. I get it, and my heart of compassion goes out. I want them to get healed, but it's foolish for me to just go up there and say, God, I know you wanna heal them and heal them, heal them, heal them, and I haven't taken the time to say, God, what are you doing? And that's a tough question because sometimes there's the possibility God's will might not be your will. He might have a bigger plan than just what you're seeing here. It might be greater. It might be something that causes pain, but yet brings him glory in the end. And you have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Because most of the time, guess what? Or I should say all the time, guess what? He knows what he's doing. Now, can God change his mind? Surprisingly, yes, he can. Based on the relationship of the people he's talking to. Numerous accounts in the, New, in the Old Testament, God changed his mind. There was a king who was dying, his name was Hezekiah, and he really didn't wanna die. And the prophet came to him and said, listen, get your stuff in order, you're gonna die. You don't want that kind of prophet friends, right? <laughs> and Hezekiah, after Isaiah walks out of his court, he turns to the Lord and says, God, seeking God's face, I want to live. This is the desire, and if you'll grant it to me, I, will, I want to live. And then God, changed his mind. Isaiah goes back in there and says, hey, if you want to live, God has heard your prayer because Hezekiah had a relationship with God. And to prove it, Hezekiah looks at the sundial and Isaiah turns the sun back so many degrees. And God says, that's how I can do it. And he gives him 15 years of his life. So can God change his mind? Yes, he can. What is God's mind changed by? People that he loves. 
people that he loves. You see it every day. I'll have something in my mind and my wife will say something else and guess what? I changed my mind, right? It usually works that way, not the reciprocating way, right? Change my mind. Now, look at this passage here because I wanna hit just a couple of passages here. Are you with me? On prayer, Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13 and also found in Luke chapter 11, verses one. And even Luke chapter 11, where Jesus gives a couple of parables about prayer, he speaks of a friend going to a friend's house late at night. Notice there's a relationship or a father going, uh, giving bread to his son, there's a relationship. And in the context of that, he brings out this, par this uh, text here in Matthew 6, verse 9. It's the Lord's Prayer that we all know. It says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Now, watch the words here, and I know you've heard this a million times, but I want you to read this like you haven't read it before. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose will are we talking about? his will. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The, whole, the prayer begins and ends with your will and your kingdom is how I pray. Yes, I can bring God my personal desires. I'm not saying that's wrong, but even in your personal desires, God has a will. Whether he wants those things for you, wants that path of life for you, wants those desires for you or not, because he can see the future of what those desires, that pathway will do for you. So we begin prayer with, God, what do you want? And I'm willing to accept whatever your will is. Now, God's word is his will. The scriptures clearly tell us what God's will is. And very specifically, many times, we go to God for a, will, for a prayer, and God speaks to us back, this is my will, by giving us a scripture. So it's not this nebulous thing, well, God wants me to have all the love and pleasure and, and fun I can have in life. Doesn't God want me to be happy? That's not a scripture either. Right? God... God's will for your life is not that you just run around and being happy all the time. His will for your life is to you look like Jesus. And he had a joy in him that wasn't just conditioned by the circumstance around him. God had a will for Jesus to save the world. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you happy indefinitely or, or as, you know, as a principle, but his happiness is not your his primary concern. Your holiness is what he's after. You hearing his voice and obeying him. The next passage that I want to look at is in James chapter 5, verse 16. James is writing about prayer. And in fact, James, this is James, the brother of Jesus, right? Y'all, everybody knows Jesus had a couple of brothers and sisters, right? James is one, Jude is one. And of course, when James and Jude wrote books, they were like, yep, we're putting that in the Bible because they, these guys lived with Jesus their whole life. Right, And so when James, as the martyr of one of the first martyrs of the early church, they used to call him James, his nickname was called Camel Knees. And the reason they called him Camel Knees is because he prayed so much on his knees, his knees would callous over. And so the whole epistle of James, the underlying current of James, his letter is about prayer. And so he writes and he says, is anyone, James chapter five, verse 16, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a song. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with, with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he doesn't say prayer will save them. He says, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and, for, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now watch what he says here. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man of like nature, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three years or six months, and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens again gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Why would Elijah's prayer be so effective? Because Elijah had the heart of God in the context of what James is saying here. So if you go back to First, first and Second Kings and you look at Elijah's life, here's what was happening. The entire nation was caught up in idolatry, sexual perversion, blinded to the to the God of Israel, and they were living their own life, having their own time of, of, of carnality and following their sensualities. And Elijah said, well, listen, if you want to do that, I can change things. And he looked up at the sky and he says, I don't want it to rain until these people change. And for three and a half years, no rain. I don't understand. I don't know if y'all understand what that means in that culture, but in an agrarian culture where everything is dependent on crops growing, when you stop the rain, you stop the whole economy. That would be like us shutting down the internet. Nobody would know what to do. We couldn't even get back home because we don't know the way without Google Maps. You know what I'm saying? Elijah shut it down. One prayer. Because the will of the prophet was the same as the will of what God wanted, a nation to turn his heart back to him. And because he was doing what God's will was, guess what it did? Stop the rain. And then when the nation repented on that historic scene on Mount Carmel, you remember? Mount Carmel gathered all the prophets of Baal, and Elijah wasn't some weakling prophet. He kills them all, pulls out a sword, and slaughters thousands of them. And the nation falls on the ground after they see the, the epic Response of God from the sky, fire falls down on the altar, eats, burns up all the sacrifice. And they say, the Lord, he is God. The nation recognizes Jehovah is God. And then in a moment, Elijah says, look, rain's gonna come. And sure enough, drenches the land in rain. Elijah's heart was not to just control the weather. It was to turn people's heart back to the Lord God. When we pray to turn people's heart back to the Lord, God responds to our prayers. Effective prayer, our prayer is effective when we align it with God's will. Philippians chapter four, verse six through seven, he says, be anxious for nothing, Paul writing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind. Prayer is also the means by which we diffuse our anxieties and stress. When we have burdens on our shoulders that are not meant to be on our shoulders and we're anxious and worried and consumed, the, what, the way to respond to anxiety and stress, listen to me, is not pick up the phone and tell somebody. Somehow we have got into this church, this, into our church, this crazy idea that venting is okay. 
And venting usually becomes gossip and slander and venting all your junk on other people is spiritualized and well, I just need a safe place to talk to people. The safe place to talk is called prayer to Jesus. Say, so Stephen, is there a scripture for that? Yeah, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says it like this. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. That's one of my favorites. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. You know, we've gotten so used to telling everybody our problems, we, go to the one, we don't go to the one person who can actually do something about it. You say, Stephen, we shouldn't tell people about our problems. Before you go tell everybody about your problems, try Jesus first and find out if you have a problem after you talk to him. The reason you have the Psalms is because David would go to the Lord and vent his problems. And guess what happened? Then the Lord would respond and even though he had a complaint, God gave an answer. So much calamity in our life happens because we're talking, let me just kind of push the envelope, praying to other people rather than talking to Jesus. And you know what talking to Jesus takes? A relationship. Not just when you're upset, oh, I gotta, I gotta only go to God when I get upset. No, you go and talk to him all the time. You'd be amazed how much your stress level would come down if you would go to the Lord first, right? And then the council of friends will affirm what God is saying to you. There's a passage here, probably the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible, especially us charismatics, we like this one. In Romans chapter eight, we've read this, we've heard this statement many times. How many have heard this statement? All things work together for good to them that love God. We've heard that one, right? And many times we take that scripture to mean everything's gonna work out, dude. God's in control. But that's not what that passage says. The passage is about prayer. In Romans chapter eight, verse 25, let me read it to you. It says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know that what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wait a minute, think about this. He says here, when we hope for things that we cannot see, and I don't mean just material things, we're talking about what? The will of God. We hope for something we cannot see, the salvation of our loved ones, the God's kingdom coming to our community, the healing of broken bodies, the restoration of God's kingdom on earth. When we hope for those things that we cannot see, he says, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, in the same way that you're hoping for that, the Holy Spirit's hoping for it. The Holy Spirit, likewise, helps us in our weaknesses. You know where the weakness comes from? not having what you know God's will is. He says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know who's always praying? The Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Jesus said, I'm going to make intercession for you. He's praying. 
He's praying what? The will of the Father. Well, how do I know what the will of the Father is? The Holy Spirit knows the will of the Father. He says he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And what is prayer? You joining with the Holy Spirit to pray what he wants into your life and into the life of those you love and know. God already has a prayer going. And he's saying, join with him in that. And then look at verse 28. And we know, so when you don't know, then you pray in the spirit with groanings that cannot be uttered. And what will happen? Then you will know what you're praying. And then you will know that all things will work out together for the good of those who love God to those that are called according to his purpose. Prayer is the assurance. Well, let me say it like this. This text indicates that all things will, will work out. This text does not indicate that all things will work out for everyone as it's often proposed. Rather, it tells us we can gain assurance in our prayer when we are aligning our prayer with the Holy Spirit's intercession, which is in accordance with God's will. You can gain the assurance that your prayers will get answered and you'll know the will of God when you pray with the Holy Spirit. You know why praying in tongues is so powerful? Because you're not praying your will anymore. You're praying his will. Sometimes you're praying his will and you don't know you're praying his will, but God needs a voice to speak into the world. And that's why praying in the spirit is so important. What are some effective ways, things that you can remember as we leave here about prayer to change your prayer life? Because here's, here's the key. Most of you, 90% of you or more, agree with everything I've said about prayer. And you're going to go home and you're going to be like, I don't know what to change. And I'm going to tell you what to change. Number one, when you get to your place of prayer, you have to worship first. Why is worship important? Because that's how we enter into God's presence. He didn't make, I didn't make that rule up. He did. You enter in with worship. You know what worship does? It recognizes God for who he is. See, we, there, there's something a little cultural in this dynamic of prayer. In the Eastern culture, which where I'm from, Eastern culture, when you go to somebody who is more powerful than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, wealthier than you, you don't go to them. Everybody knows you're going to them to ask for something, to give in, right? If I set you up with a meeting with a multi-billionaire, even though they're a great person and you wanna get to know them, you have a list already forming in the back of your mind, right? Even if it's not on the first time you meet, you know that they have access to things that you have no remote ability to grab. And so in Eastern culture, when you go into the presence of someone that's greater than you, the number one thing to do is to honor them and not just demand things for you. Because in honoring them, you realize who they are. And they know that you know who they are. Right? And I don't mean just status. I mean who they are as a person. When you go into God's presence to ask, worship him. And sometimes that means getting a lot of pride and bitterness and anxiety and unforgiveness and disappointment out of your heart because all those things are constructed out of a false expectation that God should do what you want. You humble yourself and you say, Lord, 
I'm here because I need you. You honor him. And honor is such a, such a, a relic in our culture where everybody thinks my opinion should count. Let me tell you, that's a big fat lie. Your own opinion only counts in one place, in your head. And though you might have great ideas, when you don't honor people that have power and authority, your great ideas die with you. Because honor is the currency of the kingdom. We have to honor who he is. If you don't love Jesus, you don't honor him. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you love me, you will ask whatever you want and the Father will do it. Why would he say something like that? Because in loving him, we give him the honor, the first place in our life. He's the one that we need and worship. So I would say when you get ready to pray, take time to worship. Sometimes that means singing a song, turning on some worship music. Say, Stephen, I can't sing. Don't worry, it's not for you. It's not even for the people that can hear. It's for him, from your heart. The Bible says it like this, Psalms chapter 119, enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Say, I don't know how to sing. Well, just start thanking him. God, I thank you for friends you blessed me with. I thank you for the house that I have. I thank you for the finances. I thank you for the food that you've given me today. I thank you. And being thankful, like honestly thankful for what you have opens the door of honor. Start with honor and worship. Worship opens that door. The second, take the focus off of any format or practice to engage in prayer. You don't have to pray, you know, uh, you know, three points and then, you know, there's no format to it. You're having a discussion. But first, it's worship and then forget all the formats. And the next thing, ask God, what is your will in this? So I'll give you an example so we're just not in hypotheticals. Let's say, let's say, Levi, let's say I want a brand new truck, right? That's a good, good prayer. Listen, this is not in any way a request for anyone to go out and do anything like buy Stephen a new truck. No, it's not, okay? Let's say I want a new truck. And I have some money, but not enough, but I have plenty of capacity to take out a loan and blah, 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 buy a truck. But I go into God's presence and I wanna pray about it because I don't wanna make a big dollars $60,000 decision based on just what I want because I don't know what the future holds. Does that make sense? So I go to God and I really, 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 really want this Ford F-150, blah, 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 platinum, whatever you name it, truck, right? The desire is there, right? Now this is gonna be funny, but I'm gonna get serious in a minute. The desire is there. And so I go into the prayer, prayer closet and turn on some worship music. I don't know, background tracks for F-150s, maybe, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Turn on some, it's country music is what that is, you know. Uh, turn on some music, worshiping God, I thank you for blessing me with a great job. Thank you for blessing my house. Thank you for, Lord, getting us uh, all the resources that we have. Thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping. And then there's no format to it, but then I go and I say, God, Here's what I have to do. Put aside my desire and say, Father, you know my desire, but whatever you say to me, that's what I'm gonna do. 
And that's a tough one because there's a sneaky suspicion in the back of our head, God's going to say, I don't think that's what I want you to do right now. And you know what? You have to trust him. You have to trust him. Right? I may never get a truck, and God, might, that might be his will, and I have to be okay with that. Because that stroke of obedience and trust will make me into a better follower of Jesus than just getting what I want when I want it. And his goal is not just to make me happy, it's to make me holy. Right? And so I go into the presence of God, I'm worshiping, put aside my ambitions, what I want, and I say, God, what do you want? What are you doing right now? And God might say something completely different than what I want. I've probably told this story before, I'll tell it to you again. It is about a truck. Back in the day when I was, Judah was young and I had one kid and not four boys that ate a whole lot of food and had a lot of money. I was working for a pharmaceutical, I was working for a Verizon Wireless, right? And I was saving up for a truck because the truck I had was an old truck and I like old trucks, nothing wrong with those. It was an old beat up Ford F-150 that I'd bought and paid for and it was, it was so, you know, it was, there was no note on it or anything. And I was saving up for a truck and I was putting aside money for my bonuses and blah, 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 saving up. And, and I wasn't saving up for the whole thing. I was just saving up enough for a deposit to put on it and get a new truck. This is back in the day when interest rates were nice. Right? And I had $5,000 set aside. And I knew I could sell my truck probably for another 10000 So I had $15,000 kind of calculated in my head. And I said, Lord, I'm saving for this. And I didn't even pray about it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just... And then this friend of ours comes into town. He's a prophet dude. His name is Phil. Y'all remember Prophet Phil? Comes into town. And he starts sharing his heart about going on a mission trip to Israel to work among the Russian Jewish immigrants, that few that he's known there that planted some churches. And so we're in service and, you know, just worshiping God, talking to God in the back of my mind, not even thinking about the truck that I'm saving for. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, hey, you know that money you got set aside for your truck? And I said, no, devil. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I didn't say that. He said, I want you to give that to Phil for Israel. I said, Lord, that money's already been earmarked <laughs> for a truck. <laughs> and he didn't beg and God didn't argue. He just said, that's what I want you to do. And at that point, which was, this was 20 something years ago, I'd never wrote a $5,000 check. I didn't know if there was enough space on the check for that kind of number, you know. And I thought, you know what? My wife usually knows, so I went and talked to my wife. It was no help, right? So after wrestling with it for just a little bit in the service, I didn't drag it out. Let me tell you, when God tells you to give something, the longer you drag it out, the harder it is to give, right? And so I said, yes, Lord. Pulled out my checkbook, wrote a check for $5,000 and walked up there, gave it to Prophet Phil. Didn't say nothing to him. I just said, hey, the Lord, a bunch of other people were doing it. Lord, tell us to give this for your trip to Israel. And then as I was handing him the check, that vision of the truck just disappeared, right? But there was something else going on, a bigger purpose of the gospel getting to people who had never heard the gospel and churches being planted in regions that needed churches. 
a couple of years after that, I would go to Israel with Phil and see the churches that he planted. At that time, 2006, there were only 20, 20, 20 evangelical churches in the entire nation of Israel. And Phil was working with two pastors that were planting a good percentage of those churches. We went to the building that those finances helped build, not all of it, but purchase and rent and a lease or whatever. Talked to the pastors. Saw more miracles in that one week than I'd ever seen in my life. Over 80 people healed, blind, blind eyes healed. It's phenomenal. Well worth far beyond the little amount that was given. And I'm saying all that to say this. I had a desire, but God had another plan. And prayer is where you go in and say, not what my will is, does it sound familiar? But thy will be done. You see, Jesus, when he prays that prayer in Gethsemane, his will was to avoid the pain and suffering. God's will was to redeem humanity. And sometimes we want both, and it rarely can be both. Say, I know what you're thinking. Did you ever get that truck? No. No. Because sometimes following Jesus means you sacrifice your desires. I got much more than a truck. The salvation of many souls out of that seed. When we go to God, we lay aside our desires. Some of you, listen, the truck story is funny, but now when you get into heart issues, family issues, health issues, then it's a different story. God, what do you want? The one I love is dying of cancer. The one I love is hurting. And rather than just going and saying, I know God wants all this stuff for them, you stop your heart and say, God, what do you want? And listen, his want is good because he's a good God. But maybe he has a way of doing it that you're not understanding yet. And his, his ultimate purpose is not just healing physical bodies, it's saving lost souls. Saving lost souls. It's bringing people to himself for salvation in eternity. And we have to say, God, whatever it takes to save them, I will do it. And I'll pray with you in that direction. The last thing I can tell you about praying, number one, set aside worship. Number two, set aside your desires. Number three, ask God, what is your will? What is your will? And the last thing is being honest. Being honest with God. Listen, I learned how to pray not because I read a great book one day and it changed my life. Like many great scholars, pray, uh, pastors or whatever, the best kind of prayers are the ones that are honest and desperate. I have a list of some the guys that I'm discipling and praying over and I watch in my life as God answers prayers, blesses them, draws them out of the darkness, draws them out of their captivity. And how, how does it happen? It happens because that's his will. He wants to draw people out of bondage. Here's what I'm saying to you tonight. All of us, with very few exceptions, all of us have big prayer requests. Is that a fair statement? Big ones. And maybe it's not something goofy like a truck. Maybe it's something very serious. 
or maybe it's something simple. But I will tell you this, for every one of our great needs, God has a will. He has a plan. And he's just waiting on us to do whatever it takes to align ourselves with his will. He's not going to be the genie in the lamp. Throw that mentality out. Say, God, what do I need to change in my life to line up with your will so that you can work through me to pray in your will? And that's a tough one. Because it doesn't mean God just answers prayers. It means you become changed in the process of God answering your prayer. Thank you for listening to Stephen's podcast. To connect with us or to order his book, A Reason for Hope, visit stephensamuel.org. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, you guessed it, Stephen Samuel. Thanks for listening.